Good Wednesday morning, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and this is Real Talk with Keith Smith. Thank you kindly for joining us here on the I Love Seville Network. It's great to connect with you through our building in downtown Charlottesville on a show today presented by Ross Mortgage and Scott Morris of Ross Mortgage, a team that can, you, you can count on to get you to the closing table. Judah Wickhauer, our, our friend, 13 years of working side by side and a man who's absolutely blossoming here on the I Love Seville Network. I sincerely mean that. Why don't we, at your leisure, my friend, go to the studio camera and then the three shot, and let's welcome the experts, the pros pros, Maggie Gunnels. Hello. And Scott Morris. Good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Doing very well, thank you. You got the primo parking space, Maggie. I did. Literally right in front of the studio. Did you see your pull up there? I did. Uh, I try to get that parking space um, every day. Don't have much success with that. Gunnels got it literally the mm-hmm. day she shows up. Uh, might want to buy a lottery ticket later today. <laughs> my little, uh, my magic. Yeah, there you go. Um, Scotty Moe has got a lot to cover as well. My friend Scott Morris, why don't we start with, with you? We have some listings you would like to spotlight this Wednesday morning. Absolutely. Um, Judah, whenever. Oh, ready? Awesome. Um, so one of the first things we've got uh, this week is Valisa Fox has a property at uh, Hollow Ridge in Mosley, Virginia, out near Richmond. Um, it's pretty amazing. Uh, Taylor Everett has a listing on 13th Street here in Charlottesville that they've just reduced by $30,000. new price is five twenty. Dinah Banks has a property just outside of north side of Culpeper on Eggbornsville Road, which is amazing, has beautiful views, fantastic property. And Brad Pitt has one that's just reduced to $899. Very fantastic. Uh, some, a handful of listings right there. Judah Wickhauer is spotlighting on the show. Um, a fantastic mortgage broker to partner with, Scotty Moe, is going to help highlight your listings as well. That's the first sizzle reel. Let's weave Maggie Gunnels into the mix and create some content with you, Maggie. You're moving. Real yes. estate with the Gunnels Group. The show is yours. What would you like to highlight first? Some trends you're seeing out there in the market. Oh, no inventory. <laughs> Still no inventory. A lot of people that want to buy that two hundred thousand dollar price point is like impossible right now. Um, so that's kind of been the big issue is just lack of inventory. Um, we're certainly seeing that across the board, Judah and Scott. What do we think, um, Scott Morris? we can do about this besides governmental action. I was reading Zillow yesterday, and this made some of the national headlines. Um, Zillow did a survey, and the survey suggested that rates need to drop between 5 and 5.5% for those of us that are golden handcuffed, as they put it. We secured rates in the 25, 27, 3%, 4% range for us to give up that rate and put our home on the market. Scott Morris, are you buying that survey? Yeah, I, I well before Zillow announced that in a survey, uh, I've been saying that five and a half is the benchmark, or below six. I think you put a five handle on it. I think you're quoting five and three quarters, uh, five point eight seven five, whatever it is. I think I think that's the range, uh, because certainly if we're in for an average of five and a half, there's going to be people who might be you know paying some discount points, getting a four handle somewhere in that range. But, you know, you know, speaking like of Zillow specifically, there's a ton of uh, – they are reaching out to agents and lenders and people in the communities going, hey, we've got this zip code that's come available. And uh, this is from a friend of mine in Indiana had uh, a, a partner reach out to him. And while the average price point in their area has risen to 385 the Zillow closings are down to 275 And what that means is there are people who are literally falling off the rolls. Like I've had borrowers who just say, I don't want to do this anymore. So they come in as leads and then they just don't close. And what is closing is at a lower price point. And not just with this agent and this lender, many of the people I speak with, their, their ROI, their, their number of closings with these leads are declining. Like so, let's say they were at eight percent. Now they're below four. If they were at four, they're close to to zero, one percent in the leads that they're closing. And Zillow's solution is that you just spend more money with us, and maybe it'll get better. But what's happened is they've moved everything over to the Flex program and away from Agent Premier, and the quality of leads that they're trickling down into paid lead models is getting worse for the people who are spending money on it. Uh, Maggie, thoughts on that topic? Um, I, you know, I think that we've definitely serviced quite a bit of Zillow leads. Um, and I think that the key to Zillow and for any lead is follow up. 
And I think a lot of agents get these leads from Zillow or from any place, and they just automatically assume, okay, we showed them a house. That's not the house. But then people don't continue the conversation. Like Those types of leads take six months, and sometimes they can take a year, sometimes two years. So you really have to nurture, have a plan in place for these type of leads that you're not going to you know, necessarily strike a home run right away. Um, so it just comes, you know, I think follow-up and just consistency is key to servicing those types of leads. But I agree completely, like, what you're saying, like, what you're saying is absolutely correct. Just, I, I do think people probably, you know, that's, that is, I mean, I've, I see it. Um, You've had a lot of success with it. We've had a lot of success with, with, with those types of leads. Yeah, absolutely. The, you have to respond to them immediately. You have to bend over backwards immediately to make that connection because it's not like a referral where a referral, you know, coming from a friend or a family member, um, people instantly, you know, have that trust with you or that connection is established with Zillow. It's just, you know, sometimes they'll, uh, for instance, we had a Zillow lead come in maybe, I think it was like four or five months ago, and they came back through. Um, this woman came back through and I went back to my agent who initially serviced the lead and I said, Hey, she, have you chatted with her? She's here again. Um, and no, I, I hadn't, she hadn't chatted with her at all. Luckily we got the lead again. The lady not only wanted to sell her house, she wanted to buy her house and then sell her husband's house as well. Um, so it was just, I I almost was like, well, that's just luck that we got her again because it would have, it, she, we could have like, that was not, that was a missed opportunity. So for, um, I mean, I do, I know that happens. I see that, see that is what happens. And so you have to stay on top of your leads. You have to try and build that trust immediately. That's why they're so challenging to convert because, and then oftentimes with Zillow leads is that you're competing with like four other agents um, who are also calling them at the the exact same time. Um, It's not just you, it's several other people also trying to compete for that business. Um, So they are, I mean, they're a headache as well. Like (laughs) they're not, it's not an ideal way of building a business. Um, But if you know how to work them and you're good with follow-up, and you're good with like connection, immediately building somehow building that trust with someone. Then yeah, absolutely, that's it's a way. It can be a little piece of your business, essentially. Um, we got a lot of folks watching the program right now. Liz Donningham is giving us some props right now on LinkedIn. Dan Pettit of Real Estate Three. We'll get to your comments. I will highlight this. You've said this on previous shows. You are fantastic at working the phone. Yeah, that's uh, my zone. And that, that is your zone. <laughs> and that is a key component with the Zillow lead. Yes, yes. Um, knowing how to work the phone. Yes. Um, Scotty Moe, we're going to weave you in the mix here. Lead generation, a key aspect to anyone's business, regardless if it's real estate, branding, investing, raising money, whatever it is. What are some of the tactics you're seeing out there on the street to help facilitate lead generation, maybe out-of-the-box ideas that you're potentially seeing? Because let's cut to the chase. I think anyone in this market is looking for incremental leads. Right. Um, I don't think I, I, I don't think out-of-the-box is the solution right now. I think that in-the-box is very much where it is, meaning uh, get face-to-face with people that you know, like, and trust and have real conversations, and that's where your the warm referrals are going to help you grow your business especially in this environment more so than chasing after a pool of people clicking on the internet who one you not only as maggie said take the challenge of building that initial rapport is huge because if you don't do that and then can explain to them what this really is like you're just another click away from no longer being in their life uh, Maggie Gunnell's getting some props right now on social uh, from Jeremiah Bryce oh, hey, and Aliyah Pister watching the program. Yes, Eliza. Uh, Lynchburg, Arlington, um, Northern Virginia in the McLean area watching the show. Crozet watching the program. Question from Dan Pennett for Maggie. Do you think the homes being built, attached and detached apartments at the corner of 53 and 618 are a good value being built in Fluvanna County? I think a lot of those are going to be rental properties, um, and then there will, there will be single family as well. I mean, yes, any, anything. I mean, we don't have inventory, so the fact that there will be some inventory is, is exciting. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the fact that we'll have inventory is good, is good value for somebody. Somebody's going to be able to make that happen um, when there's just, you know, there's nothing else um, out there right now. Um, 
I wanted to. What were we just? Chat, what were you just chatting about? Leads and what, what I lead generation. To, yeah, I wanted to actually chat about that because we chat as a team. We talk about lead generation all the time, um, and and just what Scott was just talking about. It's I talk about twelve touches a day. I mean, that's a big lofty number for for an agent to do. But for instance, I was out at the dentist the other day having a you know my teeth cleaned, and the woman I was chatting with was I just brought up real estate somehow and um she was like well I'm actually buying a house and can and so we ended up having lunch and she's going to be buying a house so that's how you build and you picked up the business yeah fantastic yeah and she's her rental house is going to be sold um so I'm hoping to chat with her landlord um and so in the city of Charlottesville so you got two leads two right leads there. from that and from a, a teeth cleaning appointment exactly there it is so when you're in when you're a realtor and you're in the industry it's something that you always have to have top of mind lead generation and it just kind of has to be a part of your daily habit and routine um and and then tracking of course what you do but lead generation I think like to Scott's point like that more organic natural referral that face-to-face connection is where you're going to win uh, most people will win even just like the chamber or somebody I I had coffee with um with a man that does a travel agency in Fluvanna and he's you know knocking on the door of 90 and he's got you know he's he's we had he's I know he's going to give out my name to to someone we were chatting about that and um just having coffee with that and having that human connection and um trying to build that rapport with people is so important and I think that gets I think that's where we're going to have to go back to the basics in this market um and it's not going to just constantly like rain close deals we have uh questions coming in fast great take right there this one for um Scott Morris Johnny Ornalis, thank you for sharing the show. Fluvanna, Louisa, and Orange on the program now. Um, the question, again, is about rates, and this one is about a Q4 rate hike, if it's in the cards, from Jonathan Galasso. So that is the uh, most controversial take uh, that's out there right now from you know economists and people who have uh, the serious opinions. Uh, mine is no, that they're not going to – they don't have the – have it in them to do it um part of what's i think we've seen a significant amount of softening that we will continue to see in uh the upcoming jobs reports and i think this there's a double-edged uh sword for the fed right now and what's happening with uh fuel prices there's a lot of professionals that say that fuel prices are going to create more inflation cost of goods are going to go up trickles down to the consumer that's where it is but it's also going to create a a harder line for the consumer to cross that they're facing with uh, depleted savings higher credit balances and uh, student loans coming back into the servicing and uh, all of that combined I think is going to create a greater amount of softening and an additional rate hike uh, is going to cause more pain or at least that would be the nail in the coffin for you're not getting a soft landing you're going to get a hard landing it's just when does the data really catch up with everybody does it everybody do we go through uh christmas uh 2023 uh where people just put finally load up on credit uh one last time for holiday purchases uh travel and events and then the fed hikes the credit card balances one more time and and that does it you know i don't know but it's coming um comments coming in fast maggie gunnels wants to jump in i do so last year history repeats itself last year in the fall rates increased and then did they not increase again in the spring is isn't that what happened and so i mean it's it's i do think it's probably going to happen um and people did a bunch of spending to scott's point in the during the holidays and then it slowed down and january was silent with you know consumer spending and isn't that so i it's it's going to probably happen History tends to. We're probably going to happen. What happened last year is probably going to happen this year. Scotty Mo, uh, yeah, and <clears throat> I I think the data is going to support the Fed cutting sooner than later, and I think the first round is going to be pretty steep. I think they'll be making fifty basis point cuts instead of twenty five, uh, but we got to get there. Um, and I, I said originally that I thought that we would see the data by the fourth quarter. I still think that's the case, but we may not see a, a messaging from the Fed that's going to significantly affect the bond market until first quarter. 
Uh, Maggie Gunnels and Scott Morris, questions are coming in. Viewers and listeners, ask questions, put them in the feed. We will relay them live on air. This is a great question from Spencer Thomas, who's watching the program. For someone with good credit and um, a fantastic uh, portfolio uh, where, where debt is in check, can you offer some insight into how many points above market an investor rate is looking at these days? That's a great one. Um, anywhere from half a percent to three quarters of a percent. So, so we're talking like flirting with nine, eight and a half. No, you know, below eight. You're okay. on an investment purchase. Yeah, you're you're below eight percent or that or you know thereabouts. Depending now, the property makes a difference as well. There could be additional LLPAs, so loan level price adjustments from Fannie Freddie based on the type of property. A condo is certainly going to price worse than uh, a single family at. Uh, certain price ranges uh, manufactured as well, same problem. Uh, anything that uh, that gets a heavier LLPA loan level price adjustment based on uh, the property type because it maybe doesn't appreciate as well or doesn't hold the same val- long-term value as uh, a single family detached. Maggie Gunnels, are you seeing, and we'll welcome uh, Alex Arst to the program. He is uh, watching at Keswick Call as we speak. Are you seeing investors in the market. Absolutely. The problem with investors right now is they'll say they have somebody right now we're working with. He's like, I've got 200,000 in cash. I want to spend. He doesn't want to take out debt. He wants to use all of his cash. And I mean, it's, what do we buy? What does he buy? And so it's, it's a hard, that used to be like your entry level price point, or even not even your entry level. That's kind that kind of was your, um, slightly above entry. And there's, I mean, there's nothing um, so it's, it's hard for investors to find stuff right now. Um, it just like everybody else. And so, um, yeah, there's definitely, we definitely have investors right now and, and we are finding deals. Um, we, I mean, I went and th- there are still deals to be found. It's just, you know, lots of sleuthing. Are you seeing off market deals? Is that what you're bringing to your investors? Yes, I have recently we've had, um, I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about them, but um, internal brokerage sales um, just within our broker that even just within our office that people just said we didn't even, they don't even, for whatever reason, you know, there was one recently um, that's pending now, but it was a hoarded, a tenant had lived there for the last 15 years. It had been hoarded in. It's completely destroyed on the inside. They didn't want interior showings. No one was allowed to see inside. And so we got the information on the house. You could see the old listing, but um, I, we sent it off to all of our investors. And you know, you could, you had to buy it sight unseen, kind of like you do when you buy property at the courthouse. Oh yeah. And so we had some somebody called me, and he's like, Maggie, thank you so much for bringing this to my attention. But how am I supposed to buy this house without seeing it? And I was like, Well, it's, it's not the one for you. But trust me, there's going to be somebody who's comfortable with that, and will be able to do the due diligence. We'll be able to put the numbers and make the numbers work for them. And they did. It was gone within 24 hours, even just being an internal broker sale. Um, not even exposed to the market. So we are, there's another, um, I bought a house recently um, that was another sale within our brokerage. It was another hoarded house and the woman that owned it did not want people really coming inside. So they let two people come in, which one was me and one was somebody else. Dang. And, and I wrote her an offer that day. Um, and so it, so, and then another house right now, I'm probably going to be buying another house here soon. Um, hopefully we'll see. Um, in the city. And um, it, another investor client of mine, he, um, I went to him and I said, hey, you know, are you going to sell any of your pro- inventory? He owns a ton of real estate. And he was like, well, actually. And so um, I'm, we're working on a deal right now. So, so at any rate, yeah, absolutely. We're seeing off-market deals. We're seeing, um, you know, deals happen. They're just, again, they're harder, they're harder to find um, than you, you might typically, you know, a couple of years ago. Scotty Moe. Um, so to Maggie's point of ref- leads and that sort of thing, and in conjunction with what she's saying here, so if you have someone who holds a lot of properties, now's the time to be reaching out to them. There's a lot of people who are trying to download, downsize their portfolio, especially if they've got a property that maybe they, you know was a, got some they've had issues with. Why is that? Because price points are yeah, at their value, peak. Yeah, values yeah. are fantastic. I, I yeah. knew I know and what this no person's yeah. motivation. I know what this investor's motivation was, but I just was curious, 
like generally, what it's do you think? It's just across, it's a good good yeah, pricing it's, right it's now. A, it's a it's a good time for them to get rid of things yeah. that they don't want right. um, for whatever reason that they don't want it, uh, and it also. Uh, if you're an investor who's who's out there, there are still deals. They're not what you, they're not the same deal that they were they were 36 months ago. But you part of it need you may need to open your mindset to the fact that you're going to go in and take an L for the first 12 to 24 months before you can refinance it into uh, a lower rate, make it cash flow better. But at that point, you've also established quite a bit of equity. So it's, it's still very much a good time to go in and buy as an investor. Um, and if you're somebody who is maybe transitioning from your first primary and you want to convert that into a rental, and the next purchase we can make a primary. So let's, you know, you can look at upgrading and, and, and still making things work in your specific situation, especially if you're carrying a low interest rate on that primary. And one of the things that we talked about coming into the show was if someone has a low interest rate. Oh, is this assumable? Is getting into. Can I set the stage real quick? Set the stage. Yeah. (laughs) So this was a Jason Howard on Rio Road. Welcome to the program. James Watson, Lonnie Murray. Hello. Welcome to the program. Aspiring uh, restaurateur Nelson Lanza watching the program. MJR Cat, Matt Neese. Dean Russell, Woody Fincham, Jamie Turner, Dr. Wolf, Holly Foster, Sarah Hill Buchensky. Realtors, I think that I think this is about to be a, a lesson and, and perhaps a topic that a lot of folks don't know that well. Um, assumable mortgages was sent to me by a very sophisticated investor. We call him because he prefers his anonymity, we call him anonymous or deep throat. He is a macro finance guy that legitimately is negotiating with like heads of countries across the world. And that's literally no BS. Okay. He said this morning he wanted to talk assumable mortgages with you, Scott Morris. So why don't we do this at like a seventh or eighth grade level for the viewers and (laughs) listeners here? Because this is getting, you know, this is a fairly complicated topic here. So I have a question that's often asked about this is can a non-veteran and one of deep, deep throats scenarios specifically was about assumable VA loans. Um, can a non-veteran assume a veteran's loan? The answer is yes. Now, if you're an agent who is helping, uh, the transaction, if you're on the buy side or the sell side, you, you want to assume that you're probably going to need around 60 days for this. And the reason for that is the servicer who is carrying the existing loan has to qualify the borrower and, and, and underwrite, and they are not built mechanically the same way for the transaction, the same way that uh, a purchase organization is, um, or refinance, or just a, a, your, any independent uh, mortgage banker broker. In addition to that, there's some challenge. There's some challenges for the veteran. So, if uh, someone has an assumable loan that they have, they owe at three percent that they owe two hundred thousand dollars on. They're selling a five hundred thousand dollar property. Their original entitlement cannot be released back to them if that loan is not uh, not closed. So. If they need to go and buy a million-dollar home and they want to do it with 100% of their guarantee, they're not going to be able to do that if they're selling their existing property and taking the $300,000 cash differential um, into the next transaction. They can use that money to put down, and depending on what they qualify, you know, they may be able to make it work. But their guarantee is tied to that, so it may not always be in the veteran's best interest to have, leave the loan assumable. Uh, title company is also going to be heavily involved in the transaction and, and helping execute it. You're, everybody's just going to need more time. It's going to feel clunky because it's just not something that's commonplace. One of the other questions specific to a Deep Throat's question was using a second to finance the difference. So let's say that $300,000, the guy who's assuming it doesn't have that cash sitting around. So could they borrow that money to help execute the loan, and the answer is no. They can't carry a second in. They need to be paying the difference in cash. Maggie, you want to jump in on this topic? Well, we get people, um, this year we sold a property, and that was, the issue was just how difficult it was, and they didn't want to go through the process, and they didn't want to take, and, and it's unfortunate because the rate, I think it was like two and a quarter or something like that. Yeah, it could be, yeah. It was a great rate, and um, but the, it was the, the difference between 
how much um, you know they'd have to bring in cash to to make the difference. Which so it just didn't work. So we just don't. I don't think a lot of people know about this topic because it's not. It's not really. It's not really that. It's it's sold as a benefit to these loans, but it's not really a benefit that people can typically. It's good advertising. On. Right. It's not. It's never really. It doesn't. Does it really come to fruition that often? No. So I don't think. And actually, in my 17 years, I've ever seen one closed. Um, so, but you do hear people talk about them. I mean, how often you would see it more than I would. I would never see it because it's something that uh, they can't borrow. The original, yeah, yeah. yeah. The so, original. so whoever the, ser- the current servicer is. Right. So maybe not even. Right. So let's say uh, the loan is originated and then it's uh, sold to to PennyMac, and PennyMac is the servicer that collects the money and they log in, they get their printer statement, sends you the mailer every month. Uh, PennyMac's servicing department is actually who would then qualify and maybe they run it through their underwriting on their wholesale division or something to that effect but the bottom line is it's just not something that these companies are built to do so it's going to be clunky this comment is coming you have uh colleagues of yours watching um the program uh michael buchensky watching the show right now um michael buchensky says you can assume but if the sell it but if the sell it for four hundred thousand you're assuming a three hundred thousand the buyer's spot is responsible for the difference. He also says he's never seen one close in his 23 years of the mortgage business. Yeah. Uh, Michael Buchensky also adds this. He expects rates to drop before the 2024 election. He says his prediction rates will come down significantly so the current administration can show how well we are doing. Not a political commentary, but more to Scott's point that by now and we will be able to refinance within the year. Um, any thoughts on that, Scott Morris? Yeah, I've thought that, but uh, I think that you're gonna. There's gonna be other. Uh, so, not getting too political, but the Saudis don't like Biden. Um, you're gonna see gas prices are gonna go higher and stay higher going through the election cycle, and uh, they this happened right before the midterms. And it 100% has to do with other countries' influence, financial financial influence, on what they'd like to see in political change in the United States. That is a fact. We will see rates drop. There will be. Uh, I'm sure there already is people advocating inside of this administration to the Fed in order to do it. But the Fed's first, the Fed's two priorities are inflation and jobs. They want to see those things be healthy, meaning inflation needs to come down, and they would like to see it come down without a huge loss in the job market. I think there, personally, there is a lot of underreported unemployment in the United States due to the shift into the gig economy from the time that the pandemic started until now, in combination with the fact that there's those people already are off of the payrolls and they can't file in the same manner, especially in, uh, in certain states. Some states are more accommodating, like California, but they have a ton of fraud. So that's why certain, some of the unemployment numbers get corrections every week after about a week to two weeks after they've actually released the numbers. Uh, Maggie Gunnell's thoughts on that, or do you want to go to the next topic that's come in? I just wish it would be so interesting if we could actually, like they do in Europe, um, transfer your mortgage from property to property. And so if you qualified, I guess kind of like you do with a line of credit or, um, you know, cause that's what I, that's what I'll typically do is go get some type of commercial extended line and I can just go not risk my own money and go and buy property that way. Um, and I don't have to reapply. I've already, you know, they've already given me amount of money that I can go spend, but you can't transfer your mortgage from property to property. Or if you get, let's just say you do only spend 300 of 600 that you're qualified for. You can't, there's no, I wish there were more of a, I mean, I guess it's cause it's a money-making <laughs> business and you probably would, that would. And there's a risk tolerance there. I mean, that, that, the, the lenders, you know, if this we're just moving your debt to a new property without uh i think the qualification process would get much more complicated yeah like would they'd have to like do due diligence on the the property that the next property that you're wanting to buy i mean yeah. that, but to me i'm like figure it out like that's not that complicated you already have to do the due diligence if you're buying it for a new mortgage but i get what you're saying um I don't know. I just wish there were more. Um, I think ways. Americans' willingness to walk away from their debt would. I think that would be a, a probably a bad. Uh, a, I think inve- a, there would there'd be a lot of failure, and the Fed would have to step in to change our system that dramatically at this point. 
Um, comments coming in. This one from Jason on Rio Road. Michael Buchenski, you're in the slot. Michael Pruitt, Board of Supervisor candidate. Frankly, he's going to be the Scottsville District representative, so he's going to be on the board. Is watching the program now. Marlene Jones, hello. Um, Avon is watching the program. Houston, one of your happy clients. Guys, um, how are y'all? From our home in Richmond. Julian Freeman, hello. Um, Jason wants to know about student loan debt. Um, student loan debt payments are now about to start going. I believe it's October when the student loan debt um, payments are going to uptick, and they want your take, Jason does, from both you guys on how this could impact <laughs> the economy. Maggie, why don't you go first on this one? I, so I feel like Scott can maybe talk more about the economy part. I don't know if I should say my opinion. <laughs> oh, don't hold. You're, you're not one to hold back, Maggie. I mean, That's I, why you're good on a talk show. I, all right. My, I... And Scott, you're next on Can this. Can I one. really? Because I feel like I probably. Hey, it's your. It's however you want to handle this. The show I is yours. A lot of people watch this. A bunch of baloney. Okay. Sorry. Okay. So forgive me if you do not agree with me, but okay. I think it's a bunch of baloney. You think they should have been paying the student loan debt all along? Are you kidding me? Okay. I'm sorry. Like yeah. this is that is comp- no. I can't. It's, and do you want to leave that though, or do you want to go it, down this rabbit hole? I just, I don't agree with that at all. I just think I don't know. I, I didn't luck. I was lucky enough. Granted, I was very lucky enough to have my parents pay for college. Okay. And I did figure out ways to finish college early to save the money. I was like, this is how I can do it in three years, and this okay. is how you can do it to save money. And I brought in a lot of college credit to before I went to college, but my um. My uh, ex-husband, he did not. He came from a different, and he paid, I mean, immediately out of college, I was, he had, you know, forty or $50,000 worth of debt, which I know it's different nowadays. But I, I remember thinking, okay, well, let's just get this done. And we figured out a way, and we got it done, I think, in like two years, making no money, some, like making, figuring out ways to make extra money you to sacrificed. pay You sacrificed. Yes. Yeah. I don't, I just don't, I did, that is against my, core value system to have a, the government step in into your situation. Like, if you want to go to college, like, it's a privilege, right? I mean, everybody should be able to access that privilege, but that's why there are... Loans. Loans and grants, and that's what John did, is he went and got a lot of grant money. That's He didn't actually... I know that he went to the college, he, the university that he went to because it was less expensive than other options that he had gotten into, and they also had good programs for him. I just don't... Sorry, it goes against my... No, like you got a lot of people agreeing with you. Sarah Hill Buchensky watching yes, the program, it, SHB. She says, I'm with you, Maggie, yeah. with multiple exclamation points. You take a loan. You pay it back. Thank you. You got Grayson watching the program. Hip, hip, hooray. If you take a loan, you don't look for a lifeline and not pay your bills. On another Facebook page, this one's from Lauren. I paid back $113,000 of student loan debt in less than five years. The fact that people are not paying their bills really pisses me off. Me too. I have a feeling Scott Morris is going to have a take on this one here. I mean, you already live in a socialist country whether you like it or not. And, (laughs) And you have a system that is predatory amongst to allowing universities to prey on the young consumer for college cost and the break that down what you mean by that okay uh you you have people uh reaching out to help when someone says well i you know let's say from the application process forward uh there's a lot of opportunity for the for the college, the universities themselves, to say, hey, you can have, here's, here's what you need to do to get in. And, and they push the debt because that's what allowed them to charge so much money to begin with. It's a predatory system, and it's mostly predatory among a, a lower income class of individual. And so, yeah, I, I agree that everybody should be paying them back, but the system is already so broken that that's not what you're going to get. Because if you've got a if you've got universities charging people uh, close to six figures for a degree that they're never going to make enough money to, to pay back, and that's and like and and then you have the government itself instilling rules on schools that teachers must have graduate degrees to, to teach certain uh, courses or certain types of education. But at the same time, you're not going to pay them more than $60,000 a year. The system be broke. 
I agree. What you're talking but about, I feel the, like, is too separate. Well, maybe it's not, but it kind of a. I I have I do remember a woman you, I met one time who came from um, you know a uh, similar to my ex's background. And she, I remember she was telling me about a nursing program that she did. And she signed up for this nursing program that was not inexpensive. It was like $30,000 or something very expensive through some, I don't know, some online school. I don't, I don't know what it was. And um, she realized after she completed the course and everything that it wasn't what she thought it was. And she had to go spend a whole other set of money to then actually get the nursing program that she, that she wanted. But I, I just, I have a hard time believing... When I least know my sphere and the people that I like grew up with, for instance, they don't need help paying their school loans back. And if they went and took a degree out that doesn't make them money, then sh- that's their problem. Uh, Michael Buchensky put that comment literally on the feed right here. You'll appreciate this from Buchensky. Um, he says if you get a degree in basket weaving, then you've basically made your own bed. I'm not talking about basket weaving. I'm talking about specific to uh, police, uh, so some of the uh, some of the courses and classes that are, are highly recommended in in that field cost a lot of money that sometimes they don't get paid back from from their employer. And I think specifically to teachers, the the cost to get and social workers, the cost to get those degrees, which everybody says is just so effing important, uh, do, is not then paid by the same institutions that are requiring them. Jamie so, Turner, Matt, let me throw this. Jamie Turner, the real estate investor. Some have dubbed the student loans the quiet stimulus, the student loan relief. Now I got to offer the other I side, and then see let me throw this to the other so side. So if, you if, if you're somebody out there who a hot who has. Yeah, I, I, Perhaps. Who has student loans? Um, the first thing that you need to do is contact the servicer themselves and see and and work to get into an income based uh, repayment schedule. Now, the re- here's the thing: you're never going to pay those loans back that's at those levels. Yeah. But that's that's all part of this. You know, I get. Look, I love the small government, this shouldn't be the way it is concept, but we are so far down that road that if you can't shift your mindset at this point, we can cry about it all we want. It ain't changing the way it is. I don't think that's the solution, though. I don't think that's the solution of just wiping it all. Like, there should be other ways to be able to... I agree with you. If you want to be a teacher and you you get paid what you get paid, which is not, I, is not fantastic, and then you have to go take a huge chunk of debt out to make that happen, then that, that doesn't really make sense. But I do think, like to what you were saying, is that college is so in, important, and it is, but like community college is a good Oh, I don't step. think college is important at all. It can, I, for the, for, it can be. Sure. Well, I mean, if you're, if to you're go, to go to college to sell real estate necessarily. Right, right, right. It like, depends on what the, uh, the profession you're pursuing. If right. you're a doctor, if you're an attorney, if you're an engineer, college is important. But for what we do where we get out of bed, we're entrepreneurs, we're looking for opportunity. To Scott's point, that is not needed. It's more you need the degree in street smarts. That's or, why I or, finished or, college quickly. I was so sick of you being were bored. and I wanted to make money. You were bored and you were ready to hustle. You're a hustler, he's a hustler, I'm a hustler. Or in the <laughs> trades. Like, uh, you know, I'm just saying college isn't the end-all, be-all answer, oh, wow. be-all, end-all. But uh, it for certain degrees and requirements, I think it's, yeah, it's overpriced, oversold, um, and it's predatory upon uh, the people that it's uh, trying to, to serve. And, um, uh, and the government allowed it to get you. that way by putting these loans in place. SHB agrees with you. Sarah Hill, she says, how about the government hold the universities accountable? Hundred that, that, that you're saying. Right. Yeah. The flip yeah. side, Olivia Branch, Queen of Keswick, there are those whose education never equaled income earnings. I support reduced interest for those who are truly struggling with payments. Yeah, sure. Um, sure. She throws that out there. Um, Maria Marshall Barnes, welcome to the program. This is an extremely hot topic. I'm not able it's to not keep so up with topics right here. White. It's not so black and white. There are obviously, like, it's not this, like, to what I'm, it's not generally, I think it's a bad precedent to, to, to just not, just say you don't have to Pay it back. I don't. I don't like that. I think that goes against the grain of my DNA. All right. How about this then, Scott? The economics of it. With these payments starting up again, how is that going to impact housing? How about that one right there? So it's going to take the entry level price point borrower and push them further away from buying a house. Uh, buying a house. And explain wh- why. Because if 
so we have to qualify for your loans when they're in deferment. Uh, we can, you know, we can count half a percent um, uh, depending on what specific program and how we're going about it against you. Uh, for veterans, it can be even a little bit less. Uh, but once you get back into a payment that you ha are have that reported on the credit report that you have to make, uh, you're going to have some challenges in in getting qualified. Uh, so that's why I highly suggest that you go out and you get yourself in an income-driven repayment program with your current servicer. This is a hell of a comment right here from the guy who brought up the topic and Jason Howard on, on Rio Road. He says, it's interesting the cost difference between a four-year degree and a CDLA when the CDL almost guarantees you you have employment once you are certified. Not just employment, hell of a comment from Jason Howard, but significant six-figure employment for a CDLA. Forgive me, what is a CDLA? It's a class. It's people who drive uh, tractor tractor trailers with air brakes. And They're stacking paper. UPS, like the drivers make in certain areas, make pretty good money. Is like, the is the FedEx guy CDLA? I don't think I the, the so the so FedEx. It's going to depend. Like they've got depends on the size of the truck. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. You, the truck's got to have air brakes, uh, and so your your normal like uh, UPS truck or FedEx delivery. No, is the answer, but like. For your over-the-road truckers, stuff like that, yeah, absolutely. That's or uh, not just over the road, but your guys who uh, like look at some of the stuff that's driven around by the city or yeah. dump trucks, depending on the the weight rating and, and those types of. You things. should highlight, and then we'll get Maggie in the mix. And, and Buchensky makes the point, Michael, that the folks that are really going to stack paper, which is a point Scott has made all along, are the trades, the electricians, the plumbers. There's not enough of them. They're all retiring, and yes. anyone who gets in yes. this type of work over the next decade is going to mint money. I totally agree with Absolutely. that. You should highlight what we were talking about a couple weeks ago with the crane operator, the tugboat captains, those type of professions, and what they're minting. They're all, well. They're also uh, so look. If you're a lender, you need to have a niche, uh, and that's the same thing with these trades. If you are a guy who um, specifically worked towards. Uh, uh, skyscraper uh, placement uh, crane work you make probably $300,000 a year because there's not a lot of the use out there um, now that goes to you know that's and what uh, Brzezinski saying is that that's also going to apply to plumbers and carpenters and anybody who does a high level of work there's a little bit of rub there um you there's some very very good carpenters who are not good businessmen and uh it, you may have to build a team to protect yourself from yourself in order to to create wow. that level of success that's good advice but uh it's out there if, if you can be uh, a fantastic uh plumber uh, and businessmen, and you can get in at the age of, you know, in your early 20s, yes, I think that you're going to be in a fantastic place 10 years from now. Yeah. Maggie Gunnels. I, I agree completely. I don't like the idea of putting the burden on the taxpayers when really it should be, like, it's not such a black and white topic, but it really should be like the universities or like the people that are predators in this situation. And, you know, you've got, like the girl with the nursing school thing where she goes and spends 30 grand on a nursing program she didn't actually need um and somebody should have advised her correctly but i don't know i just well that it, goes to this i mean the couple years ago the their charter schools so people teenagers who were getting into federal student loan debt to try to get out of a community and go to school somewhere and then the schools would shut down in the process and i've talked to multiple people in my side of the business with what i do now and it's like dude you're never gonna like you're he's there was some forgiveness to some of those, but it didn't apply to everything and everyone. They're all being tracked. And then that also applied to kids coming out uh, of high school who were maybe trying to pursue a dream in athletics and get into a, a greater school. And they took on student loan debt to get into a postgraduate uh, uh, program. And it's, it's just very challenging and very predatory with the age group, the demographic, and how and why they go about it. I got a buddy who's a tugboat captain, John Blair and Stanton. Welcome to the program. I got a buddy who's a tugboat captain. He's clearing, um, he's almost at 300K. He told me he had a couple beverages. We were tossing a few back, and he got a little braggadocious. Uh, right under 300K. He legitimately is working two days a week. Where does he? Virginia Beach. Virginia Beach, Norfolk area. Wow. Three days a week, or two days a week. Just under $300,000. Tugboat captain. Now, 
Scott's made this point multiple times. You have to get, there's certifications to get this, to this level. And it took him a while to get to this point. Um, he did not come immediately out of the gate doing this. And to pay his dues, he was working essentially the crappy shifts early on where yeah. he was away from his family, weekend work. But now it's two days a week during the Monday through Friday slot. He's coaching all his kids' teams. They have um, an investment property at the beach down where you're at. Um, and, and they're living the dream. The, his better half stay at home, um, li living the dream. Stephanie Wells Rhodes is watching on LinkedIn, and she says, I could not be prouder of my boy, Brennan Rhodes, who did not go to college, but is absolutely killing it right now in the HVAC industry. Yes. The HVAC folks are, are stacking paper. Um, gonna say that. Um, <laughs> Stephanie, we had uh, one of your husband's colleagues, Glenn, in this office um, just, I'd say about 10 days ago. Um, and she says he did go to K-Tech to get his journeyman's license, though. K-Tech is something you've been hugely in favor of, Scotty Moe, on this program right now. The, the show is absolutely on For fire right now. and all sorts of things. I have so many friends that did K-Tech through... Um, Blue Vanna County High School, and they, I have a handful of friends that started businesses through that, through hair, like really, well, like it'll take me nine months to get in with some of them to get my hair done if I wanted to, you know, and they did it through K-Tech or community college. I hate Jake. when I hear people Talk throwing shade. Yes, yeah. going to like PVCC right. yeah. or going to K-Tech. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think the mindset, and he's made this point, I think that mindset is starting to shift. And I almost think that the shade now is, is going to the four-year that are coming out a quarter million dollars in debt. And they're coming out with the degree that has... And I'm not trying to throw shade on degrees, but no kind of like financial practicality. Yeah. Where someone's like $250,000 in student loan debt and they're... I don't want to pick a degree and piss people off. I mean, say like, you know, what's what's our art history major doing? Right. Our history major is probably going to graduate school and getting more student loan debt. Right. To, right. To teach art history. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. And then and then the graduate it's school literally degree. like what people so. Uh, no shade you know, getting, on art getting a degree in uh, you know art art history is a great one like or. Uh, just different history degrees in general. You're, it, it, you're going to graduate You're school. learning about the pyramids yeah. so you can teach about the pyramids to people who want to learn about the pyramids. It's literally a pyramid scheme. Oh, Scotty Morris right there. Jamie Turner, I will make sure my kids are more open to other avenues such as trades or unique skill sets that don't require a degree. I literally said this to, to my wife that if our two boys choose not to go to college, that is not the end of the world for us or for me. But when we were growing up and we're all relatively the same age, yeah. if... Our parents, at least my parents, were like, you have no choice. Absolutely. You have to go. That, There's I, no no for it. You're going. Absolutely. Um, that mindset has shifted, and I think it's the cost of carrying the debt service with these degrees. Um, this comment has come in, and this is an extremely good one. This is for Scott. Do we see an opportunity for rates dropping in that 5 to 5 range within the year, Scott? What? Sorry. I don't think it takes a lot to get there, um, and part of that has to do with the shrinking yield spread uh, between uh, mortgage rates and the uh, U.S. tenure or the, the, the widening. Uh, I think if we can get down uh, closer to three and a quarter, so a full one percent move uh, in the the U.S. tenure, we get we get below six. And that is going to be the key to getting us where we want to go. Uh, or at least we get into the, the – if we can get to – I think six and a quarter is really where, like, uh, you know, imagine, like, uh, breaking a lug nut. That's where you get the first little bit of movement in the inventory market is if we get below six and a half. Um, and from there, it only gets better as we get closer to five and a half. Maggie Gunnels, that was an emphatic no from you. I mean, I don't, I, okay, Scott knows more, I feel like, economics, the dynamics than I do. You can speak to it better than me, but I just, why, I don't know why, why would rates go down right now? I mean, I feel like that's going to only put a burden on the housing market further. And, like, I love when you said six and a quarter, I'm like, that would be great. But I know even people were freaking out about that. Sure, but a great question is: If you didn't buy at five and a half, do you regret that now because it was too high? Can, can I tell you that 100%. we bought a house then, 
And I remember John saying to me, should we be doing this right now? And I was like, absolutely secure debt because it's only going to go up. And so, um, and, and I think we ended up getting in a low fives at that point. And that was right when it, it right when rates had gone up, like had it initially, was, was it spring? When did that happen? I can't, I, why rates it? started going up halfway through, uh, Q2 2022. Yeah. Yes. So it was, yeah, that's right. Cause we bought that. We missed it. We, we did an off market deal. A lady called me about selling a house and I was like, let's buy that house. Cause he, we needed to get a house. And, um, Anyways, the she took three weeks to review the contract. <laughs> and the rates moved. And the rates moved. Yeah. And he was like, should we still be doing this? And I'm like, yes. Because <laughs> we need to have another house we're going to go move into. Maggie. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, There's some people watching here, Maggie Donalds. <laughs> I know, I'm being bad. But um, but that's what happened. And so our, I'm very grateful that we secured debt. And we didn't. Wait, because why? I don't. It's always a good time to buy. Always. Um, I mean, always. I would even I would even say this, and I'll throw this to Scott. I would even say it's a good time to buy a house, literally right now, with yes. rates. What are we in the mid sevens? Yeah, um, we're we're seeing some some negative reprice today, but so it's a, a little bit worse. People say that's crazy that it's a good time to buy a house right now in the mid sevens. I say no, it's not. And and what I've highlighted is is this data this data science school at UVA the biotech school at UVA and Jesus the Amazon that's what I was going to say eleven billion dollars right. dude I talked to one of the supervisors at Louisa they're expecting twelve hundred direct and indirect jobs from outside the market <laughs> many of them coming to Central Virginia twelve hundred additional Crazy. people come okay let's just use a conservative number let's say it's Let's very conservative number. UVA has straight up on the record said it's two to three thousand incremental jobs, not from Central Virginia, strictly for biotech. Two to three thousand. We know data science is roughly three to four thousand, and then supervisors saying twelve hundred for Louisa. That's going to be in the next. 36 months? Yeah. 24 to 36 months? Where are those people going to live? I don't know. Where are they? What are they going to buy? They're going to go to Richmond. Is that what it's going to be? Yeah, I think a lot of those Louisiana people look at Richmond. They might look in Culpeper. They might look um, or, Fredericksburg. Or, or, and people Middle. may not want to hear this. What I think is going to happen is, and, and Scott, your thoughts is, these people taking these jobs or having these jobs moving to the area are going to be like top 10 percenters from an earnings standpoint. They are going to be taking the homes from the rest of the financial totem pole. And the rest of the ch- financial totem pole, I hate to say this, is probably gonna get gentrified out of this area in some capacity. And that is gonna drive values for houses. Yeah. So that's when we say, when is a good time to buy? Always. Yesterday was a good time to yeah. buy. Always. Your thoughts on so, this? So, yeah, there was a, I've seen it, I've seen it in print two or three times. Uh, I think uh, there was a Zillow executive interview. There was, uh, some Forbes article also. The, the place to buy right now is anywhere where there's continued growth and all existing scarcity. Well, that is what the area that we are in right now. So I've said if you're an investor, if you can take the L for 12 months, 24 months, uh, but make it make sense, now's the time to get in. If you're a first time home buyer and you qualify, Stop focusing about all these other factors that your mother's brother's sister's cousin told you that you shouldn't be doing this because of and trust the professionals that are telling you this is what you should do because if you do it now, you're going to be in a better position 12 to 24 months from now and then potentially for the next 30 years or the rest of your life because you got in and did it, you built some equity, then you lowered your payment and, you know, there's a million reasons why the answer is yes. Um, but the the answers to, to no are always coming from people who are playing that they think they know better game, and, but they're not living your life, bro. Yeah, well said. Maggie, I, well said. Yesterday I talked to a woman, and it just broke my heart. She um, has been renting. She's got to be in her, like, mid-50s, and she's never bought a home. She's rented her whole life, and she was just telling me she never thought it was possible for herself and and I just was like, why are you renting? Like, let's get you, let's talk and just see if there is a plan that we can put into play for a year or two years or whatever it is. And she's like, but why would I do that? Because you can secure your monthly payment. You can secure your housing. You are, she's now in a housing crisis. While building a savings account yes. called equity. Exactly. So it's, I feel like owning real estate, like I said, you it, as much leverage, debt, buy it, hold it, figure out ways. We've had this conversation 
you know, when um, you and I both bought our first homes, we... We should tell that story. You want to tell it? Yes. The first time that I ever bought a house, and Jerry's story is, I think, almost identical to mine. Um, I bought it the absolute worst time humanly possible. Worst time historically ever, which was like fall of 2007. Wasn't that when you bought two? That's when we bought. I bought literally, this was, uh, I'd say, 2008 early. And then when I, it was like, there were five phases at the Villas of Southern Ridge. I got in phase one with the idea each phase would have $5,000 of appreciation. So when I bought it in phase one of the Villas, it's a condo complex down Fifth Street Extended. It literally was, I mean, I guess I could say, the ghetto converted into condos is what that was. And every phase was going to have (laughs) $5,000 of appreciation for each phase. Phase one happened. Phase two, the... The condos dropped like forty-five thousand dollars in value. I remember. I remember Literally. going to an event that they had all the realtors. It was one of the first events I went there to that event. It was it, Real Estate Three. Yes. It was Rick yes. Spagoni, uh, Jeff Gaffey, and yes. Madness Spagoni. Yes. Dan Pettit was there watching the program. Yes. But but here's what the crazy thing, guys. This is literally what's happened. I th- I, b- I bought mine for I think it was like 182 thousand. They're now trading for two thirty-five. Right. So if you hold it and you rent it and you don't take the loss and you f- figure out how to pay off the student loans in two years, like you said, yes. you just figure it out. Yeah, you you put your mind something forward. to it. Now we're looking at what's the appreciation of that? You're better at math than I am. You're looking at fifty thousand dollars of appreciation on something that was purchased at basically one eighty. That's like a forty, forty two percent appreciation. Now that's not the same level of appreciation of a single family detached, right. but at the same time, that's all I could afford. Which right. goes that's to my I point afford. on right. why these LLPAs exist. So condos are always gonna there's there's gonna seem like there's more cost. Same thing with manufactured because they don't appreciate it at the same rate as the same Yeah, time. it didn't I appreciate but I, that's all I could afford. love a double wide. I'm just going to say <laughs> some of the best investments I've ever made have been on double wide. Okay, tell um, us. Just property that you we've bought at the courthouse that we bought sight unseen and just knew the numbers made sense. I mean, I even think one of the double wides that we sold – um, recently, I think I saw it. It was a mineral. I think it traded again recently for like three hundred, which is so, obscene. I will say this: yes, I think that we went through a period where there was an extreme amount of value in that space. I think it's getting more difficult, especially when three years ago, even if somebody had told me, "You're talking uh, double wide." Yeah, hey, I, well, there's this double wide I want to buy. It's three hundred thousand dollars on five acres. I, my, I like the alarms ring. I'm go. Well, it's never going to appraise. Yeah, I'm sure it's amazing. I'm sure it's amazing. It's never going to appraise. And now it's like, it's, it will appraise, but at the same time, uh, it's sure it's that appreciation in those properties is not going to be the same that we've seen with everything else in the long term. Yeah. And just to your point about the condo that you bought, the first house that we bought was in the fall of 2007. And we were really excited because that house was originally for sale for like 240 because that's what they were typically going at in 2006, 2005. Was this at the lake? This was at the lake. Okay. And um, I think they reduced it to like 215 and we were like, oh, that's exciting. Let's just, we needed, I didn't want to rent. I just knew that I just did not want to rent. Yeah. And I I had dogs. I just didn't want to go there. I wanted to paint my walls. And so we bought a house and then all of a sudden over the next 10 years that that house dropped, I think as low as like 120. And, but now it's worth probably 365. That's what I'm saying. This is, this goes to, we still own it. We had it rented out. We moved. uh, Well, I mean, that's the thing is like, I, I've been there. I've held this property. It's a rental now. It's renting for 2k a month, which is crazy to say. Um, I've had this property for 17 years because I did seven years at the villas, seven years at Redfields, and now I'm three years in Keswick. So 17 years. Of that 17 years, I think every single month of that 17 years, I had at least one of those rooms rented yeah. to offset the mortgage overhead. That's what I did. That's what we did. That's right. So you did that as well. We, yeah. I think we got the mortgage and, I mean, neither one of us were really making much money. Dude, I was making nothing. I think like $35,000 or like, I mean, it was low. Like that when I bought not... that is when I launched this business and I had no clients for six months. Right. I swear to God, my food was was a double cheeseburger from McDonald's yeah. or I was going to the Panda Garden Buffet on Emmett Street, remember it by Lambeth, for the five ninety five lunch buffet and I swear was stealing food from the buffet in Ziploc bags. 
I was literally taking food, scraping it off my plate, and putting it in Ziploc bags and taking it home. One of your colleagues is watching, Ricardo Duran. He says, this is phenomenal advice from both Scott and Maggie. He says, a great appreciation rate is between 3 and 5%, and Virginia has had a consistent 3% home appreciation every year, which means it's definitely a good time to buy and build equity. Fantastic comment right there. The your colleagues are watching left and right over here. Um, Scotty Mo, jump in. Um, you know, I think that if you can buy at an entry point, this really first time buyers are the people who I'm seeing the most roll off with to where they say, Hey, you know, we're just gonna rent something right now. They've given up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, yeah. And uh, and this goes also to my Zillow's telling you, well, it's not working. Give us some more money, um, because those are the the people that are seeing the if you the most the people who are going to have the most success in this market are the people who already own real estate. That's going to be the the role in the future as well. The reason that KB Homes and uh, uh, Ryan and all of these builders. Or have such a great runway is because there's so much inventory that's trapped and they're going to get their numbers and they're seeing them increase month over month in, in different markets and different pockets across the country but in an area like charlottesville fluvanna uh central virginia culpepper you're going to see continued appreciation because scarcity and growth are what's going to continue to drive appreciation in this market. no doubt and i i can't even like I, i'm having legitimately like i think about this often where are 8,000 new citizens with deep six-figure jobs going to so live? I, Seriously. Yeah. How many, do you have this number? Any of the realtors have this number? How many active listings do we have on the MLS right well, now? It's not, it's, Keith I, said last yeah. week it was 44. I believe it. I believe 44 it. active listings. Yeah. What happens if we have 8,000 families come <laughs> to this area in a 24-month um, period? That's why I said the, the future in real estate in this region is going to be Whoever owns the land and builds on the land, it's builders because there's we don't have inventory. We're not going to get inventory. Well, We're going to have to build it. That's um, not happening. Opinion. That's not happening. Right I, now. I don't think I agree no, with that's that. The problem, the governments that, are keeping it from happening. That's, that's that's the problem too. Is that there is not and and it's like for the good or the bad. It's good that we don't have suburban sprawl in our region. But um, I think at least um, growing up in Northern Virginia, I mean it's like a whole different world up there. Fredericksburg, Northern Virginia, yeah. for sure. This is a hell of a question from Neil Williamson, the president of the Free Enterprise Forum. How does the panel differentiate between housing appreciation and gentrification? Yeah. <laughs> Who wants to go on that one? Scott, you want to go on that one first? I mean, uh, I don't know how, what we're saying about as far as differentiate. I mean, I, it's something that I've talked about and I said last week on the show. Are they one and the same? Yeah, Probably. of course they are. And uh, it goes into uh, the University of Virginia's, you know, they're, what they say versus what they do are two entirely different things when it comes to affordability and protecting culture inside of the city. Yeah, I think that's true. So he's basically saying UVA is all about affordability um, and workforce housing, yet they're buying properties, taking them off the tax rolls, and essentially hoarding real estate and not necessarily creating any workforce housing. Um, that's pretty much what's happening. That's why I think we as citizens should be huge proponents of the payment in lieu of taxes, a pilot program where UVA essentially just strokes a check to the jurisdictions where they have the largest um, real estate holdings and say, here's money that you can use for your yearly budget. That's happening at a lot of places, including what Harvard is doing with the Cambridge and Boston area. You guys, this has been a blast. We're at 1124 right now, and I want you guys to go anywhere you want on any topic you want. I will adapt to you. Maggie Gunnels, the show is yours. Ladies first, anything you want to cover. I just would say that if you are looking to buy or sell in the region, my team and I would love to help you. Um, we have loads of experience, we are available, we communicate, and we are great real estate advisors. So please do reach out to my team, the Gunnels Group. Love it. I love it. Scotty Moe? Uh, if you're an agent, whether an old agent or a new agent, or when I say old, I mean been in the business for some time, uh, and these lead source problems uh, due to the limited inventory, you know, we're only going to get so many people qualified to buy who can then go out and buy the seven houses that are available. Um, the warmer referrals are going to go through your your more traditional networking sources. And if you're a new agent who just complains about leads and that sort of thing, take take some time to do some inventory. And how many contacts do you have in your phone? And how many of those people actually know that you're 
you're in real estate now. Um, and I don't mean just because you posted something on social media and now that that human being that's also in your phone is supposed to see that and put these two things together that they're a contact of yours and reach out to you and you're going to sell their home. You need to make direct contact with the people in your life that you could do the most for because you're already someone who they know, like, and trust. So why not have them work with you rather than a stranger? Scott Morris dropping bombs over there. Michael Fisher in the Ross Mortgage Office, part of your team, watching the program, giving you a lot of props right now. Um, Wanda Fielding is throwing up the heart emojis for Maggie Gunnels over there. Wanda sent me an awesome, Scott, her husband, who um, is a police police officer in Fluvanna for many, many years. I think he still still is. Um, Sent me an amazing referral earlier this year. Love Wanda. Props to Wanda. Six little young lady. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Judah Wickhauer, you get some props. The show is all about Q&A with you, the viewer and listener. Uh, If we didn't get to your comments, I'm sorry. There were so many comments and questions that came in. I literally had a hard time keeping track on today's program. I think that is a tribute to Scott and to Maggie on the panel. This is a fantastic um, dynamic on the show. Um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. Um, I just pretty much have to keep the conversation going. One of my favorite things that I do professionally is literally sitting here and and, and doing these programs. It's so much fun, and it's such a great learning experience for us. The show is archived on realtalkwithkeithsmith.com. Scott Morris of Ross Mortgage is someone you can absolutely trust. Scott Morris, Ross Mortgage. The I Love Seville show is up in one hour, um, and we have a lot to cover on the program, guys. Um, Thank you kindly for joining us. For Maggie, for Scott, for Judah, this is Real Talk with Keith Smith. So long, everybody. That was awesome, guys. That was fun. It was so fun. That was a good one. Um, He's going to tell us when the mic's...